It's good to be with you guys. Thanks for being here. Let me open with this. This is a quote from F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer was a Baptist pastor from England. He says this. He really, really read this. He says, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above another, and that the taller we grow, the easier we can reach them. He says, now I find that God's gifts are on shelves, one beneath another. And the lower we stoop, the more we get. That's what Christ did, right? The lower we stoop, the more we get. What a great challenge for us. And you see that as the book of Esther continues to unfold. Let's read Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6. Where we see one man, Mordecai, going towards the way of humility and Another man, Haman, going towards the way of humiliation. We read and study from the New American Standard Bible. If you need one, there's one in front of you. You can take it home if you need, it. need one for home. Esther chapter 6, starting in verse 1. So during that night, the king could not sleep. If you recall from Esther chapter 5, they had a banquet. And uh, the queen invited the king and Haman and, and had this banquet only to say, let's do this again tomorrow night. <laughs> she is not going to unfold uh, what she wants to ask the king until the next evening. So during that night, the king could not sleep. So he gave an order <laughs> to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king, right? Like just read government business and you should fall asleep really quickly. It was found written that Mordecai, this goes back to chapter 2, if you recall, verses 21 22 and 23, we'll get to that later. It was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus to kill him. Again, back in chapter 2 of Esther. The king said, while he was reading this in the middle of the night, he says, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for saving my life? And the servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. And so the king said, who was in the court? So in the middle of the night, Haman shows up. If you recall from chapter 5, Haman went home and he's still raging over Mordecai. So Haman's got advice to, to hang um, Mordecai. So in the middle of the stinking night, he shows up to the palace. He wants to make sure that the first line of business the next morning when the king wakes up, although he doesn't know the king's already awake, is to get Mordecai hanged. So the king says, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai. He's going to die in 10 or 11 months anyway, but he can't wait about hanging Mordecai on the gallows or, the, or hanging from a tree, which he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said to, to him, Behold, it's Haman. He's standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. And so Haman, oh man, he comes in, and the king says, uh, Hey, dude, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman says to himself, Well, who would the king desire to honor more than me? Have we, have we been there and done that before? That can go bad. Then Haman says to the king, For the man whom the king desires to honor, let them bring a royal robe which the king has worn, and the horse on which the king has ridden, and on whose head, that same horse, a royal crown has been placed. And let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes, and let them array the man 
whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square (laughs) and proclaim before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Oops. Verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, cool, that's a great idea. Take quickly the robes and the horse as you just described and do so for Mordecai the Jew who was sitting at the king's gate and do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. Wow. And so Haman took the robe and the horse and he arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. And then Mordecai returned to the king's gate afterwards. He just got back to work. He just got back to work. But Haman hurried home and he's, he's embarrassed, he's mourning, and he covers his head in shame. He's, he's humiliated. And Haman recounted to Zeresh, his wife, and then his friends, everything that had happened to him. And then his wise men and his wife said, Dude, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you don't stand a chance to overcome him. You will surely fall before him. That is our God. Verse 14, while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Oh, man. Wow. The plot is thickening. If you recall, our theme from Esther is about God's faithfulness. God is faithful. The purpose of the book of Esther is to demonstrate that God is sovereign in all circumstances, church. We must never, never, never lose sight that God is sovereign. Amen? We've read this verse more than once, Job 42.2, which says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose, Lord, of yours can be thwarted. We talked about the plot of Esther, that God takes a young orphan girl and causes her to become queen of the Persian Empire to save the Jewish people from destruction. And of course, one of my favorite quotes of all time from our beloved Pastor Dave, I can never get tired of quoting this, my dear brothers and sisters, we have a decision to make. Let's not read this book, this book of Esther, these 10 chapters and think, wow, the Lord sure knew what he was doing in Esther's life. Instead, let's read this book together and realize that the Lord knows exactly what he's doing in your life and in my life. Let's make a decision that we're going to trust him completely in every situation. Oh, church, what a great quote. But, oh, church, easier said than done, isn't it? It's hard to trust the Lord in every situation. Dr. A.B. Simpson said this, as I've quoted before. He says, God is preparing his heroes. I imagine some of you are some of the heroes that God's preparing God's preparing his heroes, and when the opportunity comes, he can fit them into their places in a moment, and the world will wonder where they came from. And as I like to say, God is in control when? All day, every day. God is in control when, church? All day, every day. I imagine many of us had interesting days at different parts of this week, and it's hard to remember that God is in control all day, every day. But we know that he is, and we're grateful that he is. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we, as we continue to uh, wrestle with how this story unfolds, it's, it's, it's interesting. There's, there's, there's a turnabout of circumstances, and, and that's kind of fun. 
and, and we like to read about it. And me personally, we like kind of those vengeful things. But, but really, Lord, it's just about you. It's all about you. It's not about Esther. It's not about Mordecai. It's not about Haman. It's about you, Lord, that you are in control all day, every day. Forgive us, Lord, when we lose sight of that. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you also for your grace and your patience that you constantly extend to us when we do forget and take our eyes off of you and put them upon man, as Pastor Chris talked about last week, that we lose our sight of having a fear of the Lord and we we replace it with the fear of man. We look at circumstances and we don't look at you. And so forgive us and heal us and strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Really good to be here with you guys. Thank you so much. If you recall from last week, if you were here from Esther chapter 5, Pastor Chris pointed out a contrast, right, which I just mentioned in my prayer. He mentioned that we are motivated by one of two ways in all the moments of life, he said, that, we're, that we are motivated in one of two ways. We are either motivated by the fear of man or the fear of God. I think he's absolutely right. And of course, one of those is rooted in pride, and pride comes before what? The fall. So one of those is rooted in pride, and the other, of course, is rooted in humility. In Esther 6, which we're now in, we continue to see a contrast, and how the long-term results of this contrast are starting to play out. We see Haman, if you recall, who can't wait to kill Mordecai. The king issues the decree that all the Jews are going to die in 11 months. But Haman can't wait and wants to have him hung that day. And you can read about that in chapter 5, verses 9 through 14, which we did last week, where it says that Haman had everything. And I think it's in verse 13 where it says, yet all of this, everything that I got, all this power, all this money, all this prestige, verse 13, does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So here we say, see Haman, who can't wait to kill Mordecai. And then we also see in chapter 6, Mordecai, who seems to have waited just fine by not being recognized by the king. Five years has passed. When Mordecai saved the king's life, this is five years later. So Haman can't wait. And Mordecai's chilling with no recognition for saving the king's life back in Esther chapter 2. Five years earlier. See, here's the thing. So the king gets disturbed in his sleep, and he wants to know, What happened to Mordecai? Did we honor him? See, Persian kings prided themselves in rewarding those who helped them in any significant way. And so Ahasuerus, King Ahasuerus, decided that he needed to fix this error immediately, even though five years had gone by. This quote from Andrew Murray, he's a South African writer, teacher, and pastor. He says, look at this, this is powerful. Humility is perfect quietness of heart. I think this is what was happening to Mordecai over time. Humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret. And I'm at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. Is that an amazing, amazing description 
of humility. Oh, Lord, help us. Do, do I operate this way? Oh, I'm trying to, but it's hard. C.S. Lewis says this about pride. He says, pride is a perpetual nagging temptation. Keep on knocking it on the head, but don't be too worried about it. As long as one knows one is proud, one is safe from the worst form of pride. Right? Here's a little fun little humorous story about pride. A lady went into her pastor and she said, Pastor, I'm terribly in need of some counseling. I've got this sin and I can't seem to shake it. The sin is messing with me, but I can't seem to rid myself of this sin. And the pastor was deeply concerned for this apparent dilemma, not only for um, his, uh, this individual woman, but for his congregation as well. And so he asked her, he says, what seems to be the problem? And she says, well, I come to church every weekend, and I can't help but thinking that I'm the prettiest woman in the church. I look at all the other ladies, and they can't even hold a candle to me. What should I do, pastor, about this sin? And he said, oh, honey, that's not a sin. That's a mistake. <laughs> See, Haman is both sinning in his pride, and he's making a mistake thinking that he's the one with all the control. He's the one with all the power. It's both pride and a mistake. He thinks that there is no God. He thinks that he's in control. He thinks that he's got all this power and prestige. And God's like, oh, honey, that's not a, just a sin. It's also a mistake. Haman's way, way, way off. Here's our outline for our verses for today. The first nine verses is this delayed dignity. Five years have gone by and Mordecai is going to get recognized and honored for what he did for the king five years earlier. And then we begin to see the humiliation of Haman, who showed up to the palace to have Mordecai hanged, and the king says, hey, dude, I got an errand I need you to run. Right? Dress up Mordecai and parade him around town so everybody can honor him. Ouch. Let's reread our first nine verses, this delayed dignity. Let's reread verses one through nine. During that night, the king could not sleep so he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had reported concerning these two guys, some of the eunuchs who were doorkeepers uh, for the king, that they had uh, looked to kill the king back in chapter 2. And the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for having done this? And the servant said, nothing. Nothing has been done for him. And so the king he says, well, who's in the court? He hears something. He says, now Haman had just entered the court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai, which he had prepared just the night before. And the king's servant said to him, behold, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, bring him in. And so Haman came in and the king said, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king, right? Oh, gosh, it's embarrassing. Whom would the king desire to honor more than me. We do this too often, I think. And then Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king desires to honor, let, a, let them bring a royal robe which the king has worn and the horse on which the king has ridden on, on whose head a royal crown has been placed. And then let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback. Do you remember back in chapter 2 when Haman got promoted? He was promoted above all the princes of the 127 provinces. He's the most prestige prince 
And he says, let the most noble prince parade him around. And, and uh, the king's like, yeah, this is going to work perfectly then. <laughs> to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him. So he's got to shout out, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Oh, my goodness. Shakespeare wrote this. He said, uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. The king couldn't sleep. He was uneasy. Here we see the Lord prevent something good in King Hazarus' life. What's that something good that the Lord prevented? Sleep. The Lord prevented something good. It's good for us to sleep. It's good for us to do lots of things. But the Lord prevented something good for something better. The Lord prevented something good for something better. It's just a good life lesson for us. As we go through life, we're like, why? Why would the Lord not allow this? Why would he not allow that? And we find out later, it's because he has something better in store. He wants us to trade in the good for the great, the good for the better. Let's take a look at some things worth noting in this stanza. When we do, this is what these nine verses are telling us, right? When we do right by our king, Right? Mordecai did right by his king. When we do right by the king, he knows. And it will be recorded and it will be rewarded. That's just a great lesson for us. When you and I do right by the king of kings and the lord of lords, it will be recorded and it will be rewarded. When? When he decides. Psalm 31 verse 23 says as much. Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful, and he fully recompenses the proud doer. When? Don't know. But I do know that he will, because he promises to do so. Isn't that fantastic? Keep plowing. Keep plowing. Keep plowing. Keep plowing. Because scripture tells us that we will reap a harvest if what? If we do not grow weary, that's what Galatians tells us. Let's read verse 3. Verse 3 is both discouraging and somewhat encouraging at the same time. Verse 3 says, the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on, and you can just plug your name in there, from, on Mordecai for what he has done. And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Mordecai did something amazing. He preserved the life of the king. And what was done for Mordecai? What does it say? Nothing. I just want to say, if that feels like you sometimes, when you wonder, I'm doing stuff for the Lord, I'm doing stuff for the Lord, and nothing's been bestowed upon me, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry but it's coming. I am so sorry if that's you. Nothing was done for him. No honor was bestowed upon him who did something for his king. And it just grieves my heart if that's, if that's you, if that resonates for you personally. I just want to say I'm so sorry. But I also want to say in the context of Esther 6 that I'm so excited for what God will do. Does that make sense? If you haven't had honor bestowed upon you, I'm sorry, but I'm excited to know when and how because you know what's coming. That's the promise from our God. 
I know some of us wonder, I know I do. When, Lord, when, when, why? It's coming. God is so good. He's always up to something. Let's read verse 6. So Haman came in, and the king said, What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king desire to honor more than me? We see in this verse the danger and the wretchedness of always wanting ourselves to be honored. You see it in that verse. It's just kind of despicable. But it's a danger for us and it's wretched when we get like that. But we also see in that same verse the inability and the wretchedness of never seeing the reason for others to be honored. So he wants all the honor for himself, but he doesn't even think that others are deserving of honor. It's kind of a two-edged sword and it's both bad. We get so focused on ourselves because we want all the honor and glory to be poured out on us. But then it causes us to lose sight of all the people that God would have us to honor. Mordecai is guilty of both. They're both bad. He can never see the reason for somebody else to be honored when he's only looking at himself. Here's, (laughs) Christ came not to honor himself. Christ came not to honor himself, but to deny himself so that you and I would be honored and esteemed before the Almighty. Think about that. Think about that. He who was worthy of all of our praise didn't come to be honored, but denied himself so that we can stand faultless and blameless in honoring before God. That's what Christ did for us. And it's what he calls us to do for others as well. Let's look at verse 8. So this is what Haman says to the king, right? I mean, oh my goodness. Let them bring, king, your robe, which you've worn, and the horse on which you rode or has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown has been placed on the horse. See, I don't know if you're making a connection. This goes back to Genesis chapter 3 kind of stuff. When the serpent entices Eve by telling her, if you eat this fruit, you will be what? You will be like the king. Mordecai wants to be God. It's the, it's, it goes all the way back to the fall of man, where we want to be like God. We want to run our lives. We think we know everything instead of completely and, and humbly submitting ourselves to the Almighty God. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read seven verses out of chapter 5. 1 Peter 5 is toward the end of the New Testament, just before the book of Revelation. And before 1, 2, and 3 John, you'll find 1 and 2 Peter. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 7. You guys all there? Most of us? Okay. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders. Okay, I'm one of them. Pastor Dave's one of them. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. What, okay, yeah? Shepherd the flock, elders. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. 
and not for foul gain or sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay. And then he says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, elders and young, right? So older and younger, everybody. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. When does it say? At the proper time. Who gets to determine that? Probably not us. God. Haman is wanting to determine the proper time. He's wanting to be exalted. He's exalting himself. He wants others to exalt him. Verse 9 says, going back to Esther chapter 6, wherever it is, I've got to keep my marker here. Verse 9 says in Esther chapter 6, thus it shall be done. At the end of verse 9 it says, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. That's when we get honored, when the king desires to honor us. That's when we'll be exalted, when the king determines. Because it's his, it's his desire. Church, indeed, listen, it is the desire of our king to honor us. It's his desire for our king to honor us. When? At the proper time. Amen? Compare verse 3. In verse 3 of chapter 6, it says, what has been done for Mordecai? And it says, nothing has been done for him. Nothing has been done, verse 3. And then when we close the stanza in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, it says, thus it shall be done. Nothing was done for him, thus it shall be done. I just love that. Just like that. Nothing has been done, but thus it shall be done. And so when we're feeling that way, that nothing has been done, that stanza ends with thus it shall be done. The Lord knows you. He remembers you. He will reward you for your faithfulness to him. Our second stanza, verses 10 through 14. Let's read 10 through 14 of Esther chapter 6. Then the king said to Haman, Take quickly the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the gate. And don't, do not fall short in anything of all that you said to me just a second ago. And so Haman took the robe and the horse and he arrayed Mordecai and he led him on horseback through the city and proclaimed before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. And then Mordecai returned after this. He didn't go hang out with the king. He didn't go celebrate. He went back to work. And Haman hurried home, humiliated with his head covered. And Haman recounted to Zeresh's wife and all of his friends everything that had happened. And his wife and these wise men said, If Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of Jewish origin, <laughs> you're in trouble. You will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. And then while they were still talking with Haman, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. And it starts to hastily unravel as sin catches up with us. It seems like it happens really fast. Let's look at some things worth noting in this stanza. Look at verse 10. 
So the king said to Haman, take quickly and do just as as you've said, and do that for Mordecai, who's sitting at the king's gate. Don't fall short in anything. You honor him the way that you essentially described. In other words, the king says you honor him in the way that you basically wanted to be honored. Right? That's what he's telling him to do. And so I asked this question. How willing are you and I, how willing are we to honor others the way we desire to be honored? It's a great question for us, right? How willing are we to honor and to esteem one another the way that we desire to be honored and esteemed? It says in verse 10, the king says to Haman, take quickly these things. He wants him not only to do it the same way, but he wants him to do it quickly. Now. Do it now. And so the question is, how willing are we to honor others, but also how quickly do we honor others? Sometimes we miss those opportunities. Oh, I should have said something. I should have written a note. I should have left a voicemail. I should have, should have sent a text. Well, maybe next time. Do it. Be willing to do it. And be willing to do it quickly. And so I ask this also. I wonder if this is resonating for anybody here. What past due? This was past due. It was five years past due. What past due honor would the Lord have you to deal with today? If anything came up for you, I wonder, what past due honor would the Lord say, you need to honor? Too much time has passed by. You need to honor and esteem, whoever that might be. Let's read verse 12. Verse 12 says that Mordecai returned to the king's gate and Haman hurried home, humiliated. So in this verse, here's what happens. Mordecai gets back to doing what he does and Haman goes back to doing what he does. Right? That's what's happening. Applause doesn't change truly humble people because their values run much deeper. Applause did not change anything for Mordecai. His values didn't allow that. That's why scripture is so important, to help us shift our values. God can trust his blessings with those who are humble, as he did with Mordecai. Because they seek to honor the Lord, and the Lord alone, nobody else. Let's read verse 13. So Haman recounts to Zeresh and to his friends, and these wise men and his wife reply this way, if Mordecai, whom you have begun to fall, before whom you have begun to fall, if he's of Jewish origin, origin, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Is that last part, is that not the crux of the book of Esther? That's the crux. That's the whole root of the book of Esther. If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, if he's one of God's people, you ain't got a chance. That's the crux of the book of Esther. That's the whole crux of the book of Esther. It's the whole crux of the word of God. We don't stand a chance if we're going up against the almighty God. Don't stand a chance. It's the crux, of the crux of the book of Esther. It's the crux of the entire gospel message. Is this, is this last part of verse 13, is this not the promise and the warning for the world today? If you go up against God, you just don't have a chance. 
It's a promise, and it's a warning. A warning which most of us in this room have taken seriously. And we've gotten our lives right with the Lord because of it. The Lord shall overcome. The Lord shall overcome. The Lord shall overcome. Check out Jeremiah 119. It says in Jeremiah 119 that they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you. We cannot be overcome when our God is with us. Look at Revelation 17, verse 14. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. The Lamb is Jesus Christ. Because he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Look at John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. Oh boy, we know that to be true. But take courage. The courage is there if we'll take it. But take courage, I have overcome the world. We serve a God that overcomes. In closing, the entire course of history for the Jewish nation was changed because a pagan king, hundreds of miles from the center of God's activities in Jerusalem, couldn't sleep. <laughs> right? The entire course of history for the Jewish nation was changed because a pagan king who's hundreds of miles from Jerusalem, where the center of God's activities took place, because this king couldn't sleep. Jewish people all over the Persian Empire, there's 127 provinces, Jewish people all over the empire, and especially in Palestine, were unaware of God's dealings while this has happened. They have no idea that this is happening, that the king can't sleep until long after the fact. They don't even know until long after the fact. Church, <laughs> sometimes we just don't know until long after the fact. And we look back and we say, oh, I guess he knew what he was doing there too. Just like the last 74 stories where I said that, right? And of all the texts, he can't sleep. And of all the texts that could have been selected by the librarian of the king's 12 years of rule, he's 12 years into his rulership, of all the texts he could have read, he's handed the one that contained Mordecai's story. That's the one that was read to the king. What a coincidence. Isn't that weird? Well, good thing he got lucky. And all this takes place five years after the fact. And so was that five years later, when nothing was done for Mordecai for five years, was that an oversight? <laughs> or was it an opportunity for God? Was it an oversight? Or was it an opportunity? It feels like an oversight. But God's creating an opportunity. Sometimes things feel like an oversight, and God's going, oh, just hang in there, man. It's an opportunity for me to do something amazing. I'll say this twice. Church, the Lord's delays are the Lord's design so that we may delight in him and him alone. The Lord's delays are the Lord's design so that we take delight in him and him alone. 
Mordecai took his delight in himself, Haman took, or in the Lord, and Haman took delight in himself. And God will not do that. The Lord's delays are the Lord's design so that we may delight in him and in him alone. Because when we do, this is what the psalmist tells us. It's 37.4, Psalm 37.4 says this. Take delight in the Lord. He wants us to take delight in him. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Your heart will always be calibrated. When you take delight in the Lord, your heart is always in an amazing place when your desire is for God. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And later in that same Psalm 37, verse 23, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. So you go through life, and you're firmly planted You're a butt kicker for Jesus, man. That's just all there is to it. Your steps are firm and your heart is sound. That's what happens when we take delight. And so the Lord does these things so that we delight in him instead of ourselves, so that we stand firm and we have a calibrated heart. Does it mean life's perfect? No, we live in a broken world. Is it hard at times? Yes, but we can go through anything firmly planted in our walk in a heart that is sound and righteous. It doesn't cave into wickedness. Amen? I'm going to invite up uh, Chris. He's going to close this in song. And of course, as always, if you need prayer, our prayer team is available down here in the corner after service. Thank you so much, you guys, for taking this serious. Thank you for just, you, you guys are just engaged. Oh, yeah. That applause, that applause is for you, honestly. Thank you so much for your humility and in, in just taking God's word serious. It means so much to me and so much to the Lord. Let's pray.